0: All right, and we're live. So uh, welcome back, everybody. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. The podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. Without further ado, we are going to let our guest, Mr. Todd fawn is stock introduce himself to our listeners and viewers i sounded it out so i got you it right, you got it right.
1: Automatically.
0: all right todd can you introduce yourself and then we're going to go with todd from here on out so i don't have to try again
1: <laughs> absolutely it's i'm todd stock. fawn yeah. stock actually if you say it faster it's fawn stock um but uh, i'm a epic fantasy writer and i'm very excited to be a part of the um this, this podcast uh um blasters and and help help me out with that blades blasters and blades Blades. Ah, we went right out of my head i was saying saying it 15 times before i got on the podcast and then of course i couldn't remember the name that's that's typical for me that's all right your
2: name beforehand and it doesn't show (laughs) at all either
1: (laughs) maybe if i'd gone blasters and blades it would have (laughs) worked out for me yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) so we actually had a fun time coming up with names because when we were rebranded from the sci-fi shenanigans when we started doing more than just sci-fi. Uh, we we were looking at names and we, we went through a couple and we got a few cease and desist letters from lawyers. Apparently we accidentally hit on a, a booze company that didn't want us to have a podcast that wasn't about booze with their name. We got the uh, a Hasbro Games mech game from like the 80s that it was so old I'd never heard of it, but they were trying to bring it back. So of course we got the cease and desist yeah, you letter from them. never heard
2: of Robotech
0: either. I'd heard of it. I just never watched it.
2: There is something seriously wrong with you, child.
0: You think Pern is like a fantasy uh, sci-fi story when it's fantasy because it's got dragons. You're
1: left. agreeing with me. Uh huh. Freudian
0: slip there, Jar. We've had this argument so many times that I know her position too. Mine is dragons equal fantasy.
2: My position is right, and yours position is wrong. End Just story. because
0: that's what the creator of the universe said doesn't mean she's right. I learned this in English lit. Simple. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, what do they know? Anyway, we'll move right <laughs> along. So the next part of the introduction, dear listener, is how we first found them. So this was one of the ones where Todd reached out to us. So Todd, how did you find us?
1: Uh, I would have to blame Mark Stallings for that. Uh, so I'm part of this uh, uh, group of writers that founded a, a shared fantasy world called Eldros Legacy. And Mark Stallings is one of the five of us. We'll talk more about Eldros Legacy later. But um, Mark Stallings is one of the uh, five of us that um, is a founder of that, and he's he's a networker extraordinaire. He knows everybody, and um, he uh, mentioned this podcast, and I was like, "Oh, okay, I'll, I'll give it a shot." So,
2: yes, I, okay. I know Mark very well. He he, okay. he does come with good bourbon. That does help.
1: He does. Yeah, he's he's good at the networking thing for sure.
2: Bourbon, beer,
1: whatever people. is needed with that particular social group. <laughs>
2: Most definitely. <laughs> I just had this image of Mark holding out a, a trench coat going, What do you need?
1: What is it that you want?
2: No. <clears throat> he needs that trench coat now.
0: <laughs> so, this is the one Rob Howell does too, right? Yes. Yes. Yep. Okay.
1: It's Rob Howell, uh, Mark Stallings Marie Whitaker, and Quincy J. Allen, and me.
2: Yep. Okay. You're like the only one I didn't know out of the list before today.
1: Well, now you do. Now you and Yay! you know how to pronounce your last name correctly.
2: I can say fauna Stock. Can you, Jr.?
0: <clears throat> how about those Cowboys? <laughs> <laughs> All right, now we got to do the religion question because you know we can't we can't dive into this interview to, unless we know if you're going to stay.
2: <laughs>
0: outstanding let's let's go right into religion that's always the way to
1: start a conversation you know
2: what we loved it we love to flirt with destiny or explosives, <laughs> star wars star trek or firefly
1: oh okay can i say that i love them all three and then pick one can i do yeah. that because i do um yes. so i i you know, my young self was far more influenced by Star Wars. I was in the theater the first time that Star Destroyer came overhead, right? Uh, and uh, it just completely blew my mind. However, in my latter years, um, I, I I watched Firefly over and over. I've probably watched that 25 times, the whole series. And every now and then when I'm feeling blue, I go and watch it again. So I'm going to have to go with Firefly.
2: That is a very legit answer. I hope your depression episodes are much shorter than mine because there's only like 13 hours. 15, I guess, sound like, like that's the movie.
1: I know, but I mean, there's just, there's like every time I'm feeling like I'm in hell, I just go and I listen
0: to this episode about the special hell and I feel much better about myself. I or, can understand that. You go to the DMV, you sit, and you watch people around you, and you realize, oh, my life's not really that messed up after all. (laughs) That's another way to do it. I would rather watch Firefly, given the choice between those two. but um, yeah, Firefly does win, but, I mean, you know, I'm just throwing out (laughs) options here because I'm an answer, man. I'm a solution guy.
2: And yet you're still so messed up.
0: (laughs) I didn't say I use my own dang solutions. That's a separate issue. (laughs) All right, move along.
2: Moving on to our next category
1: of religion.
2: So this is Blasters and Blades. we got to be a little polytheistic.
1: I'm, I'm liking the religion. <coughs> I thought you were going to, like, <coughs> go down a list of organized religions, but you're <coughs> jumping right into the geek religion, so. Uh,
2: uh, oh, don't any tell more the Star
1: Wars
2: <coughs> and Star Trek or Firefly Flans that they're not an organized religion. My
1: apologies. I'm going to back away from that
2: really they're, fast. They I'm are disturbingly back. organized.
0: Wait, wait. In all fairness, though, the Jedi's did try to start themselves as an official religion that was recognized by the state in the United Kingdom. Oh. It was not recognized yet, but that could still happen.
1: Ah, uh, it should happen.
2: Uh, I'm sure it's just a matter of time.
1: Just a matter <laughs> so, of time.
2: Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, or the Wheel of Time?
1: Oh, geez. Are we talking books? Or are we talking like the movies? I'll let you know yes. the <sighs> Oh, that's, that's hard. I mean, like the Lord of the Rings movies, just, it was one of the best adaptations I've ever seen in my life. We won't talk about the Hobbit, but the Lord of the Rings movies, I was, oh gosh, but game of Thrones was really, I mean, like they just went right to the edge and I appreciate people that are willing to like push the boundaries and, um, Now I got to give the nod to Lord of the Rings because the end of Game of Thrones just really went sideways. So it was so, so good. And then it kind of went sideways at the end. So I got to give the nod to Lord of the Rings. I'm just thinking about the movies.
2: It's brilliant marketing. He let HBO beta test his ending. It's brilliant. And that's what you get. (laughs) So I think honestly, after how they, uh, they responded, I think he has just decided, I think he's really written the book and he's just going to publish it posthumously because he doesn't want to hear anybody else's feedback on it.
1: <laughs> well, he certainly doesn't need the money at this point. So I, if I was in his place, I might do the same. It's like, I don't want anybody tell me what I should have fixed about the ending. So I'll just wait until they can't.
2: Hell, you know, he doesn't even, he's like, I've written it. I don't even have to edit it. They can take care of that after I'm gone. That's the part I don't want to do anyway. I would totally yeah. be kicking back doing it. I think this. that's
1: a good theory. I think you probably got something there.
2: <laughs> See, seriously, uh-huh. Jared thinks I mean every time I say it. So he did go uh,
1: extremely silent.
2: Yes, he does. He does that particularly when Elvis is trying to talk to him. Yeah, so, I knew
0: when, when Elvis <laughs> is barking, so the audience doesn't have to listen.
2: <laughs> but He's we a love hound your dog. dog. He's a drinking game. So <laughs> if they here, drink every
0: time he barks, their livers would be like in a lot of trouble
2: well you know somebody has to have a stunt liver (laughs) (laughs) i want that i want can i have a stunt liver i
1: want a stunt liver
2: i knew somebody who had one in the sca it was pretty funny but it it was like a one-time weekend thing and he got to go up to anybody and say uh you get to drink my shot
1: Uh, okay i see i see his
2: knighthood turned 21 ah his wife provided them as sight tokens we got uh pictures of him as when he was 21 it was very (laughs) embarrassing for him it was funny but back to sci-fi and fantasy which one's your first love
1: oh fantasy for sure for sure for sure um so essentially when i was in junior high that's what they called middle school back in the stone age when i went to middle school um there was the library was right next door right across the street And one day I was waiting for my mom to pick me up. We lived like 13 miles out of town. I I grew up in Durango, Colorado, and we lived out on the Mesa, Florida Mesa. And so I would wait for her to pick me up. And I walked over to the library. And, you know, at that point, my favorite books were like the Mother Westwind stories and, you know, Rudyard Kipling stories and things like that. And I was wandering through the stacks and i came across this book by lloyd alexander called the book of three and i did not understand the title how is it the book of three it's only one book like i mean i was that was my very literal mindset and i pulled it out and it had this like kid with a sword and this guy sitting on a on a uh, this big horse and he had a skull around his head with antlers coming up around it and i'm like that's the coolest thing i've ever seen and i started reading it and that was that was the end i mean like i would not read anything but fantasy from that point. I moved from that to the Sword of Shannara to the Dragonlance Chronicles by Weiss and Hickman to Piers Anthony and his Xanth trilogy, as well as uh uh um the oh gosh, the Blue Adept series. No, it's not the Blue Adept, it's the Apprentice Adept series. Mm. Um, and uh and just I was just lost in fantasy from that point for the next 10 20 years so i guess my whole life really because i don't read a whole lot of fantasy now because i write a lot of fantasy and frankly the fantasy book has got to be amazing for me to not be picking it apart because this is what i do right um i mean i do this with my own books so it's funny how little fantasy i read these days i still do i'm currently in the middle of kagan the cursed by uh um uh jonathan mayberry uh, and uh, that's that's fun so far. It's very much Conan the Barbarian kind of uh, kind of story so far. Um, but yeah, that's fantasy was my first love. Although uh, probably one of my favorite books of all time is a science fiction book. So which book? Uh, Ender's Game. I almost wore my shirt that says the enemy's gate is down, but I wore this one instead.
2: <laughs> nice. Yes, Ender's <laughs> Game is a very awesome.
1: Ugh. It holds up. I read that thing every couple of years and it holds up every time.
2: Have you read the expanded books, the other books?
1: Uh, A lot of them. I read, of course, uh, Speaker for the Dead and and Xenocide and... I think there was another one, but I can't remember the name of it. That 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 storyline got a little stale for me towards the end. But then, of course, he picked it up with the Bean Chronicles, where they kind of follow Bean from the moment that he and Ender are together. So the Shadow of the Giant and Ender's Shadow. And anyways, there's a bunch of them. And those were really good, too. It's been a while. I don't read those again over and over every year. So that was probably 10 years ago when I read all of those. Did you watch right. the movie? Ender's Game the Movie? Uh, you know, I, w- I, yes, I did. Uh, yes. I liked it. Did
0: you? I did, but I hadn't read the book first. I mean, uh, I find you're not can... close enough for me to slap you then. Um, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> so I can appreciate when I watch a movie adaptation of anything that it is going to be its own entity that just happens to share some character names and in, in a title and appreciate them for good or for bad that
1: that's fair. I guess when I, when I'm so emotionally close to something, it's harder for me to do that. I suppose if I went back now and tried to watch it and knew like had my expectations were really, really low, um, I might be able to enjoy it. I mean, it's got Harrison Ford in it for crying out loud. It's gotta be, you know, it's gotta be okay. Right. But I just, when they didn't, I don't know. I don't want to no, spoil no, no. it. I,
2: I totally understand because I remember when Warner brothers brought the rights to the Pern fandom, Pern universe. And everybody else is celebrating and I'm going, please don't do it. Please, no, please, Uh, no, do not, do not violate this thing that I love. So I understand, I understand.
1: Yeah, no, I, I I want to go back and like, I mean, it looked really cool. Like the, the effects were great, but there were elements of the story that they ripped out or elements of story that they like truncated. And like, you know, I mean, the queen was on the moon or something like she was right there all the time. (laughs)
0: I couldn't do it. I couldn't deal <laughs> So are there any uh, adaptations of film adaptations besides Lord of the Rings that you have liked? Yes.
1: Uh, in fact, The Princess Bride might actually have been a better movie than the book. The book was excellent. It was really good. If you've never read the book, The Princess Bride, it is worth the read. But I think the movie's better. So yes, that one for sure. Um, so-
0: go ahead. I was going to say, so for me, I know a lot of uh, purists get really, really upset about that kind of stuff. But for me, sometimes I discover authors in books because the movie came out, right? And I'm like, oh, this was good. And someone like, oh, did you read the book? Wait, there's a book? And so from from my perspective, I sort of take it as I don't care what gets them in the door as long as they walk into the library.
1: You know, that's I love that statement. That could be a bumper sticker or at least, you know, on my chalkboard wall over here to my right.
0: So for me, for me, it's, it's, you know, and, but I also like a lot of the cringy B movies that other people are like, how can you watch that? And I'm laughing hysterically the whole time. Some of
1: them are really good. Some of them like they, they, they scratch a particular itch. Yeah. No, I, I like some B movies myself. I like
0: I things like that don't comment. take themselves too seriously. If you haven't noticed. <laughs> it's, a good way to be. it's a good way to be. Life's too short. So, all right. So what is it about speculative fiction, sort of the umbrella genre that you love so much?
1: You know, I think at the time I just felt like I tumbled down a rabbit hole, right? I mean, like, so for me, it's always been epic fantasy. I mean, I, I definitely have read some, you know, some of the other uh, fantasies. Just, I mean, when I was a kid, it was epic fantasy. That was it. And they just called it fantasy. It was science fiction or fantasy. Now we've got urban fantasy. We've got paranormal fantasy. We've got, you know, epic fantasy. We've got, even within epic fantasy, there's high fantasy. There's dark fantasy. I mean, like, it's just, we got so many different subgenres um, but, but for me when I'm thinking about it I'm thinking about that that high fantasy like it is a different world you are in some other universe and for me I just that's where I wanted to live I mean I, I so I I do talks a lot with um, students elementary school high school um, and oftentimes I'll get asked why is it that I that I write and the reason I write is because when I was 14 my parents got divorced and i didn't want that to be happening and that's about the time that i really started reading a lot of fantasy and at the time i had no idea what was happening psychologically speaking but now i can totally dissect it i mean it was escapism in the truest sense i was in a world i didn't want to be in and in the worlds that i was reading about it was all about how somebody who had no control and no power went on a journey ended up either acquiring power or acquiring friends or whatever, such that they could defeat the thing that was oppressing them at the very beginning. And I wanted that. I, the divorce was like my big Sauron, right? And I wanted a magic sword that could just make it stop and have my parents get back together. Now, obviously in real life, that didn't happen, but being able to go away to a place where no matter what the odds were against you, you could rise up and beat whatever it was that was you know, threatening the lands or sh- threatening the world Boy, that spoke to my. I wanted that so badly, and it got me through. You know, I mean, like it literally, books saved my life. There were a lot of other friends that I had that were their parents were getting divorced, and they were getting into trouble, and they were like, you know, vandalizing places or stealing things or hurting themselves or getting into drugs or whatever. I didn't. I fell into Piers Anthony, Terry Brooks, Margaret Weiss, Tracy Hickman. You know, Lloyd Alexander. I just fell into those books. Completely headlong and uh, raised my head sometime in my 20s and realized I, I'd escaped, you know, like I now I understand what was happening. So it was that's for me, that's why speculative fiction. And when I started writing it, I wanted to give that to somebody who was in need. Like I wanted to create a world where they could fall into it and, you know, I mean, and love it just like I did. Um, so that's that's why. That's why it's
2: such a wonderful altruistic reason whereas JR is like sesca right
1: you can kill people it'll feel good well that's also really awesome i mean you get to play god right so um, i actually start like I've no he's not read. even
2: playing god he's like Seska, do it it'll feel good you'll kill people you can embarrass them humiliate them it'll feel good
0: i speak to the, the audience and that was my my vindictive co-host so i, I spoke her love language murder and <laughs> um <laughs> I actually started as a, A-R. you're welcome. Uh, I started as a, they actually offered at the time. I don't know if they still do, but the, the veterans hospitals were doing uh, writing as therapy classes as a way to sort of process trauma. And so by making it oh. sci-fi, speculative fiction, whether it's fantasy or sci-fi, it allowed you to sort of think through some of the stuff that happened without actually having to relive it uh which is how i started but i mean i've always read i've always you know when the page ended and the story was over in my head i would put myself in the world and sort of see to keep the story going because you don't want it to end right so like i think you know we always at some level are telling stories the question is were we writing them down uh at the time i was doing so much wow, academic awesome. writing that i didn't have time to write anything fiction or or it would be the boredom like i wrote i tried to write an epic poem in high school and it was like torturous. If my mom ever finds it she better burn it cuz I don't want anyone else to read it. But it was like oh, no, really I will nice. pay her for it. <laughs> don't tell her that. She might go through the attic.
2: I will pay her for it.
0: <laughs> but like it starts off really really good and I'm all the details and then I'm like okay, I'm bored with this and then the last part of the quote epic poem is just done in like five stanzas. <laughs> uh so I, I think we all have those when we're, when we're learning. But I also think we, is this something you hit on a little bit about looking for purpose and escapism? I do think one of the I don't want to say it's dilemma. I don't know if it's the right word. One of the issues that comes up in the first world where we've solved so many problems and made life so easy is you don't have that struggle and that sense of purpose for a lot of people. I mean, yeah, you know, being a tax consultant's great. Sorry, Larry. But I mean, most people don't wake up when they're kids and be like, you know what I want to do when I grow up? I want to file IRS forms. <laughs> Whereas like if there's not that aspirational aspect to our lives for most people, like there are, there are exceptions, you know, and, and I'm not taking away from those, but I think for people that just live in the mundane nine to five sort of slog, fiction is their escape. It gives them yeah. stories about people with purpose. Yeah. You know, you might not be able to be Homer and go on an Odyssey, but but you can read about it.
2: Are you kidding? Yeah. I love it. I listen I listen to audiobooks and I go through about 30. Well, now that I like my coworker and he talks and I have one that talks more, I only go through about twenty five to thirty hours of audiobooks
1: a week. Thirty hours of 30 audiobooks years. a week. Wow, I she's got
0: I, all I, the wow. badges on uh, on Audible. She's got yeah. Like, I, I
1: really need to find somebody who just
2: pays me in audiobooks. <laughs>
0: yeah. So the <laughs> really um, cheaper. it would be, but yeah. So I I think there's something to be said for you know for that that value of story. Like it allows us to to do that. So I, I didn't quite crystallize it that way until you talked about. For you, it was the escapism and how it was sort of therapeutic for you. So sort of like all the dominoes lined up, and it was like aha. But anyway, so back I don't to know you. What you're
2: talking about, I will go and I will lock myself in a house in North Carolina and just read. I will <laughs> literally I turn off my cell phone and be like, anybody who needs to reach me has the house phone. Turn it off. I don't turn off the house phone. That's the promise. And uh, I just.
0: Wink, wink, Ooh. nudge, nudge. But I could turn the ringer way down. Um, That's so awesome. Let's make this about Todd again. Faunus Todd. <laughs> so Todd know, I'm enjoying hearing your guys' stories. These I don't know.
2: Jared, can you say his last name yet?
0: I just said it. Faunus Todd. Nice. nice. I noticed You're you so so through it just in you. case, you, you know, if you got it wrong. If I was wrong and you fast. say it fast enough. So <laughs> if you can't dazzle them with brilliance, baffle them with bullshit. The NCO <laughs> Creed. So how did your love of uh, speculative fiction as a genre and as a consumer of the products transition into you writing your own stories? Yeah. So, so
1: I wanted to, I wanted to essentially, it was such a wonder what I had been given when I was in my teens that I wanted to, Hey, I wanted to give that to somebody else, but also I, I wanted to be able to do that. Like it just, that just seemed like the most magical thing in the world to be able to create worlds. And I mean, y- the, the characters, a lot of the characters that I wrote were sort of grandified, is that a word? I don't think that's a, a word. But anyways, I think you get you? My grandified versions of what I wanted to be, you know? I mean, like like Wildmane, which is the title character of the first book in my Threadweaver series, like he's this demigod and he could do just about anything. And when I was essentially kind of thrust out into the world on my own, um, at a pretty young age, I wanted to be like that. I wanted to be somebody who could just handle anything. Right. So Wildman was the character I was writing during that time and he could handle anything. Right. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, there, there have been characters like that throughout. I mean, now they tend to be much more a very specific part of my personality when I write them. I mean, every character an author writes is them in some way, or at least a little sliver of them. Um, and, uh, but back then it was more of this, almost like I was creating a blueprint that I wanted to follow, you know, like, okay, here's a hero that I can believe in. I want to be like that guy. I want to have his moral code. I would love to have his powers. That's probably not going to happen, but you know, one can dream. Um, and, and so that's, that, you know, that was one of the reasons why I was writing it in the beginning
0: so we're gonna deviate a little bit from the uh from the program so you've talked about all these iconic properties and when you were listing what you read as a kid i'm like yep yep check uh-huh that one too mm-hmm. so if you could write and obviously ones you haven't but if you could write in any of those iconic franchises now that you're a professional author yourself which would it be and why well i did
1: actually write in one of them that's where i got my start um dragon yeah uh it was it was a strange situation, and I probably would write in Dragonlance again just because you know that that would be freaking awesome. But when. Uh... Gosh, what was it, 1990, I want to say? 1990, my mom had a boyfriend, and she lived in Minnesota, and the boyfriend knew this guy named Gary Paulson, who may ring a bell for those of you who have read such wonderful books as Hatchet, um, which is a a fantastic novel about a kid who is flying up to see his parents in Canada, and he's in this little single two-seater airplane. You and and
2: I have a very different definition of that book.
1: Oh, really? You don't like that book?
2: I really didn't want to read it. I really was very angry because my mother took away my um, Elizabeth Moon book until I finished it. <laughs> I was very angry. I really wanted my Mercedes Lackey and Elizabeth Moon
1: book. Uh, yeah, I mean, Mercedes Lackey is... She's awesome. Um, so. so I don't. I don't. I mean, I, I read it later in in life. Um, but anyways, <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm just going off of a tangent that was spawned off of a tangent, and now we're on a tangent. So, yeah. A tangent. You, you. So you met the person who tortured my English class. Got yes, it. I did. So I met Gary Paulson, and um I, I actually had an appointment to to go out and see him and I had had to pay a dishwasher $5 to drop me off in the middle of nowhere, Minnesota. And I was walking with my brother word processor under my arm, which I don't know if you guys remember word processors before there were computers, but it was like, I don't know if you can see my hands in this. It was like two feet, like wide by three feet long by one foot thick. Right. Ah, okay. Look, you just changed it out. Okay. So it was about this big by this tall by this thick. Right. And, um, and it was heavy and I was hauling this thing out into this farm where he lived, and I went in and I saw him and we chatted for a little bit and he's like, okay, so let me see your stuff. And so I, I opened up my word processor and I showed him like, you know, he's like, show me your best. And I showed him my favorite chapter, right? And he's like, okay. He like, looks at it, reads it for 15 seconds. He's like, show me the beginning. And I'm thinking, oh, he hates it. Cause I mean like you can't possibly like something in 15 seconds. Right. So I show him the very beginning. He reads that for about five seconds and he's like, okay. And he closes it up and I'm thinking, okay, well I'll just walk home the 12 miles back to town. And he's like, you're good. Um, I want to put you in touch with somebody though, because I don't do this sort of stuff. This is fantasy. So I've got a friend, Margaret Weiss, and she'll be able to help you out. And I was like, Margaret Weiss? He's like, uh, yeah, do you know her? I'm like, well, do I know her? She's like, she writes like, <laughs> the Dragonlance novels. How can you not know her? And he's like, oh, good. So you've read some of her stuff and I'm just sitting there like vibrating with excitement. I'm practically gonna you know, float out the door. And so that's how I got connected up with Margaret. And she like took a look at my first five chapters. It was, it was great. She didn't get back to me for weeks and weeks. And finally she's like, well, I don't wanna take the red pen to something unless you let me. I'm like, I'm letting you like take the red pen. So she like slashed the first three chapters or like the first, the Chapter two through four, and then that's how we started a relationship. Anyways, I uh, published my first short story in ninety one when I was in college. Uh, it's called Seekers, and it's in Dragonlance Tales Two, Volume Two, The Cataclysm, um, and uh, and then I published several other short stories, two other actually, to be precise, uh, in Dragonlance, and uh, and then just started writing from there. So so my answer, my very long winded answer to your question is Dragonlance is what I would write in
0: okay although it'd be cool to do a xanth
1: novel i'm not gonna lie xanth will be a lot of fun
0: okay that reminds me you're talking about your experience with weiss and for one your reaction to that when when you were talking to gary's how most people react to doc when she starts just casually name dropping everyone she's met to dragon con it's like oh you mean bob we call him bob over here not robert <laughs> i'm making it as i'm just grabbing a name randomly like people get that reaction to doc a lot so it's fun to see it from the other side from someone else ah.
2: I only know so many people named Todd
0: <laughs> I said Bob I was just making a joke like it didn't matter what the name was but
2: here's three names that there's only one there's like only one Jody and I look at people like who did you think I met there's only one person named Jody in this entire world if you ask my brain
0: <laughs> something like that. But uh, that reminded me, like, you're talking about your first editing experience. Matches about mine. I even wrote, I don't even know if it's still up, but at the time I wrote about the, my first experience with a professional editor and I called it something like tears of blood or how I learned to bend over and take it like a man. <laughs> <laughs> and say, thank you, ma'am. Something like that. But like, I, I could totally relate to that. Like, I liked that chapter and you're like, nope, gotta go. It's gotta go. It's is hard. Cut it out. Was it hard for you to take, or you like? Were you crying on the inside? Well, I had I had
1: asked her. She's like, she was very sweet about it. It's like, well, I don't, you know. She was demurring and demurring, and finally, I was like, "Do what you do." That's why I want you to do this. And then when she came back, she's like, "Okay, chapters two, three, and four, take them all out." It was like, Ugh, okay, but I mean, like, this was Margaret Weiss. I'm like, this is my chance. So I I jumped through the hoops. You know, I did everything I could, and of course, and, and I- that is the wisdom because
2: there are i have seen so many people go to mentor sessions and look at authors huge name authors and go no you're wrong and they're like well okay have fun you're never going to be on this side of the table with that attitude
1: you know to those people i would just say the gift the real gift is learning the more you can learn the better you're gonna get and to stand on your position and defend your stuff, there's a certain point at which you have to do that, but probably not with somebody who's trying to help you. You know, I mean, like that—that that, the way that I the way that I do it when I when I actually edit other people's stuff, what I essentially give them a caveat. I'm like, you know what? There is no cosmic rubric for great writing. Some people like this, some people like this, some people like this, and everybody's got different opinions about it. You are the captain of your ship as the writer, you're the captain, but as the captain, you got to bring in the best information possible. So, if somebody gives you something and it doesn't ring a bell for you, it's just like, no, that is anathema, don't use it. If somebody gives you something and it rings a bell, but like it means lots of work and you don't want to do it and you'd rather it was better than that, you're just hurting yourself, you're just hurting yourself. Uh, Neil Gaiman has one of my favorite, favorite quotes ever. And he said, um, when somebody tells you that something doesn't work about your writing, they are almost always right. When somebody tells you how to fix it, they are almost always wrong. And I love (laughs) that because if somebody, if something isn't working for somebody, they know that you should listen to them when they say that they're your reader and they're saying, yeah, it didn't work for me. And if they're your right demographic, you really need to listen to them. But if they tell you what you really need here is a dragon with a lollipop for a head, you know what I mean? Like, don't listen to yeah. them. No,
2: I, I beta read. And uh, Mel Todd, who I will beta read for, sometimes she will call me back and she will go, what the hell did you mean? And I went, I don't know. What I know is this sentence is awkward. And I don't know if you're trying to say a or
1: B that's and, super helpful. Right? And I'm
2: like, I can't tell you what is wrong or I can tell you what doesn't work. I'm not telling you how to fix it. I'm just telling you, no. Exactly. And, and
1: the thing is that is great because she's a professional. That's her job. Her job is to fix it. If you say it doesn't work, it's her job to look at it and see if she agrees. And if she agrees, then she's got to come up with the solution. I, that's the way that I would approach it anyways.
2: Oh no, that's the way she definitely approaches it. Other than occasionally when she's like, why did you highlight this thing? I don't know. I was I know. falling asleep. <laughs> I think I highlighted it. So I felt knew where I picked left off. <laughs> and then like, Could you have unhighlighted it then for me? <laughs> no, no. Didn't occur to me. <laughs>
0: sometimes but sometimes the readers when they leave comments that's one of the hardest part is an author's going through is sometimes when they are leaving comments they don't know why it didn't work just that it didn't so you have to sort of suss between the lines and see what they're trying to tell you yep
1: yeah or or ask them you know i mean like i'm glad that she calls you that's great because then she can get your your feedback just
0: straight straight from you
2: well she calls me because we really don't live together despite popular rumors
0: <laughs> she sends me. She sends me torture pictures of food I can never eat because she lives too far away. Well, she I jokingly has call-, who
2: call her and are like, "Did did Suska check her email? She doesn't live here."
0: <laughs> she she just sends me what I jokingly call food porn, and it's pictures of all the things she cooks, the meats and the. She's got like a, a slow cooker. Was it? Was it called Doc?
2: She um, has a smoker. smoker. Possible.
0: There we go. Uh, she says a me, slow sends cooker me- if
2: it's smoking is a problem.
0: You know I forget the word sometimes. Anyway, back to Todd, because this is the Todd hour. And we get distracted. Yeah, one of these. So many authors let their own real life experiences influence the stories they tell. So were there any specific formidable moments you think besides your parents' divorce that shaped you as a storyteller?
1: Um gosh, I, I mean that was the big one, but um but everything, you know, I mean, like I had this group of friends in college and that gave rise to a lot of found family kind of stories. Um, uh, the adventures that I took, in fact, you know, one of the books that I wrote summer of the fetch is actually 25% biogra- like autobiographical. It is a fantasy novel, no question, but it starts in Durango. The kid's 17. His family has kind of flown apart. He's living in the house that he grew up in and it's about to be foreclosed upon. All that's true. Like that all happened to me. But of course he goes on this road trip where he meets, you know, a a mystical fetch that's going to make him invincible over the course of the summer. The price of course, is that he's going to die on the eve of his 18th birthday. So, so that part was not real and you know, amazing. I
2: think you made it past 18.
1: I, I did. I did. I totally made it past 18. Yep. So and
2: 2018.
1: <laughs> so yeah, lots of influence. Um, and then actually, my one nonfiction book, "Ordinary Magic," is just straight truth from uh, my son and I hiked 450 miles over the Rocky Mountains from Denver all the way to Durango in five weeks, um, and I wrote the story. I wrote down the story. So we almost died a couple of times. That
2: sounds exhausting.
1: Did you get hit by was- a bear? Did we get him by there? No, we almost got hit by lightning. Um, We were in the wrong place at the right, the wrong time. And lightning was booming right next to us. And we were running for our lives, literally running, trying to escape lightning. Um, And then I almost fell off a cliff. That was the other one.
0: Having been a professional hiker in the, in the infantry, I don't, I I get that people do it for fun, but I I just, I just don't get it at the same time. No, I enjoy camping, but it's the long hikes that I don't get.
2: I used to love backpacking and then I joined the army
0: and they ruined it for you.
2: (laughs) Well, they ruined a lot of things for me. My hip included.
0: (laughs) All right. But that's cool that (laughs) you wrote it down. Were you recording it like with a recorder or something as you were going?
1: Um, I was, I was kind of voice recording notes as I went along. I came up with like five novel ideas and none of them were the book that I wrote uh, when I got back. I wrote the, wrote the actual story, but yeah, it helped me those notes. Cause I would write down things that would happen and people that we would meet and the names people on the trail, they come up with trail names, most of them. So we had like names like puffer belly and Starfail and, uh and uh, Xanadu and, you know, all kinds of really kind of cool, crazy names. And, um, and so every time we got to a, a new interesting name, I would always write it down and eventually it just became practice. So yeah, yeah, that helped a lot.
0: So this is one of the takeaways that I've gotten from a lot of the authors I know that write really well, is there's something to be said for getting away from the keyboard and leaving your bedroom or your office or whatever and living life because it makes you write about life a little bit better. Yes. Not everyone can be Emily Dickinson and hide in their cave and and write novels people read a hundred years later.
1: Oh, there's a time for hiding in the cave for sure. I've hidden in my cave plenty, but you're right. Going out and experiencing life like that reinvigorates me every time. Every time, even though when I get on a roll, like the last thing I want to do, thank God I've got a wife that like pops in when I'm in the middle of, you know, writing and goes Taekwondo in, you know, five minutes, come with me to Taekwondo. I'm like, no, I can't today. She's like, okay, I'm leaving in five minutes. And of course, once, once the earworm goes in, then I'm like, oh, I should probably go get some X. Okay. I'm going to get up. I'm going to go. And so I'll rush to catch up with her. um, Maybe a third of the time, (laughs) not all the time.
0: Or occasionally throwing food. That's always helpful from a spouse. Yes.
2: <laughs> I, I got told that that was mean. But it may well, not throwing
0: it at them. Literally, it was like a metaphor for just giving them food, Doc. You don't actually throw the food at them.
2: Oh, I thought it was because it was an MRE.
0: No, no, no. no. At least it's still sustenance. But, I mean, you just, you're just you not supposed to actually hit them with the food. Unless it's a food fight. and then I uh, never I hit, hit what I'm aiming
2: off. for, which may have been the problem. Because <laughs> yeah. I wasn't aiming for them.
0: <laughs> so here's a question since you wrote about that hike is it or at least it inspired the story your son was with you is he old enough to read the stories that you write for this one
1: oh yeah well, he was 14 when we hiked the trail um, so
0: if he read the story would he recognize the trip in it or would it still seem so different to him oh
1: absolutely i mean like i'm sure he was focused on different things than i was focused on but yeah i mean he all the you know all the things that were you know like there's a lot of internal monologue from me during it but then of course there were the items that happened along the way he would recognize all the items i'm sure along the way cool he's not going to forget running from lightning anytime soon i'll tell you that one would hope i'm pretty sure
2: that would make a great college essay
1: (laughs) if you've never been in a place where lightning is like coming down real close to you you have no idea how loud it is like that first strike when we were just sitting there, we we're fumbling, you know, filtering water and sitting by the stream, and all of a sudden, boom! I mean, like it was so loud that we both just jumped and thought we were already dead. At which point, Dashel looks at me. That Dashel's my name, my son's name. He's like, "That's not good." I'm like, "Okay, so don't panic." He's like, "Dad, I'm panicking." I'm like, "We're like grabbing stuff and throwing it in packs, and you know, I'm putting my shoes on." I mean, like we were all set up to rest for like 30 minutes, and then we were running and. I wouldn't even get into the blisters that were on my feet at that point. Uh, I made huge mistakes in the first two weeks, and I paid for it. Just paid for it. Um, and I had to run with those feet. It was. It was. <laughs> oh, every, about it. every about hiker it.
2: knows this pain.
1: Change yeah. your socks. Drink water. Exactly. And I didn't. And I didn't. I walked through a rainstorm and was like, "Ah, I'll be fine." That was day two. Idiot, idiot. So yeah. learn some good, valuable lessons for sure.
2: Okay. Yeah. But transitioning into the writing side. But those are That's great cuz they definitely give you context, particularly since hiking is a huge thing in epic fantasy.
1: Right? <laughs> but it really is. Gives a her, she, whole new perspective on the hobbits going to Mordor, you know. She
0: actually was tells a story about her dad falls asleep on like one of the Lord of the Rings movies and wakes up on the last one and says, "Are they still walking?" Yes. <laughs> That not, still makes me laugh, and I've heard day. her tell that story a dozen times. <laughs> it's walking. Yes, the whole movie. One walking.
2: day, my dad might actually listen to this podcast and look at me and go, Really, Seska? Really?
0: What I don't get is no one's giving me a satisfactory answer on why they just didn't ride the birds and just like circumvent all of this.
1: That's because there is no satisfactory answer any more than there is... What do the orcs eat in Mordor aside from themselves? I mean, like there are no crops. You never see any kind of. That's why they raid things. Apparently. They're also
0: magical beings, so maybe they don't need to eat.
1: Right. Until meats back on the menu, of course.
0: Until meats back on the menu, right? <laughs>
1: That's all I mean, if meats on the menu.
2: So now that um, we're getting away from long pork references, transitioning into. Right things from the writing side and the fan angle. Yes. Uh, have you had any cool fan art or a cosplay of one of your pieces yet?
1: Okay, so Colorado Springs Comic Con last year, these two wonderful young people—I uh, think they were teens. One of them was maybe 18, the other one was 16, something like that. They came up and asked for my spiel. So I, I stand at my comic con booth and I give spiels about my books and I gave spiels about my books and they had stars in their eyes. They just were really, I mean, you can tell the people that get really into it by they just, they get this sort of like glimmer in their eyes and they each bought a book. And, um, then we were best friends. Right. And they were like going out and telling everybody about my, my booth. They had to come, you know, you had to come over here and you had to get the spiel. And, uh, And then one of them was like, I'm going to cosplay your character tomorrow because I'm coming back to the con tomorrow. And she came back uh, or excuse me, they came back and they were like decked out as Gruffy the Griffin, which is one of the characters in my um, one of my stories. And it was this sort of like this. uh, It wasn't like they had created a a, a realistic costume. It was more um, iconic, right? Like with, you know, feathers on the fingers and like the, the right color of clothing and like some makeup on their face it was amazing um and then i told them i was going to be at denver comic-con and if they wanted to come up and cosplay up there i would you know i'd give them my table pass because they would go out and like hand out cards and things like that and they both showed up as like full-on full cosplay characters one from tower of the four one from fairmist and the they were both just spot on like the they were they were the characters it was such an amazing, amazing uh, experience. It, it was great. Yeah.
0: Was, was any of your family there to get to see that? Uh, the no, but life? no, but I have pictures. No, but I have pictures. And in fact, one of them, that's kind of how I picture
1: the character Adora now. She kind of, she just nailed it just completely.
0: Nice.
2: That is super awesome. So you've obviously had people ask for your autograph, but what was that first time like?
1: The first time, somebody, okay. The first time somebody ever asked for my autograph was when I was in college, 1992, at Walden Books in uh, in the Citadel Mall in Colorado Springs, um, and it was the, it was just the most adorable thing. It was it was my Dragonlance anthology uh, and my my story in the Dragonlance anthology, and this kid comes in and I'm just sitting there because like. Nobody knows who I am, right? So I'm sitting there behind this table, and it's empty in in Walden Books. And this kid comes in, and he's like looking at some stacks, and he's kind of looking at me out of the corner of his eye. And then he go over and look at some other stacks, and then I just happen to notice that he had this like tattered copy of the Dragonlance Tales Two, Volume Two, The Cataclysm, in his hands. And finally, he mustered up the nerve to walk up to me, and, and he's like will you sign my book? I'm like, absolutely. I'll sign your book. And he kind of set it down and I signed it for him. I'm like, thanks so much. And I handed it back to him and he stood there for a second and he started to turn away. Then he, he looked back at me. And he's like, yours was the best story. And then he ran out of, <laughs> out of the, the bookstore. <laughs> it was the most adorable thing ever. And I will never forget that. I will never forget it. I don't even remember his name. I don't think you had time to get his name,
2: <laughs> but if he so, is listening, cause obviously he is a reader. You do remember him?
0: I do.
1: I do. I remember him clearly.
0: And if he's uh, if he's listening, you should sign up for your newsletter and then maybe you can reply and you can continue the conversation the, that, that would be amazing.
1: That would be amazing. roughly ended. I would love that.
0: <laughs> Link it in the show notes.
1: I mean, we're probably almost the same age now. He was probably, I don't know, 12, 13 and I was like 22. So like now he, you know, he'd be in his 40s. So so I mean we're we're much closer to the same age now
0: than back then life and math is funny that way
1: that's not how the math works
0: (laughs) sure it is doc just go with it just go with it
1: did i not do that math right i'm not surprised i don't math very well (laughs) i mean if i was 22 and he was 12 then now i'd be 53 and he'd be 43 wouldn't that doesn't that work no it's not still be the same number of years apart developmentally closer yeah but developmentally like i mean come on we're both sort of middle-aged i'd like to think
0: so 50 and 40 are closer together than 10 and 20 or 20 and 30 life experience makes the difference (laughs) it's it's about more than just the raw math talk it's about the life lived and, yeah, come on, the percentage of years that we've lived is is
1: much, much closer than before, right? No? Am I wrong? Yeah. Uh,
2: y- y- okay, we're
1: going on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Doc, Doc is going to get her okay. head. Like That's not how math works. That's not Let's how not any talk of about math.
1: I'm just going to embarrass myself. You,
2: oh, hi. Too late. Okay. Too late. <laughs> it's okay, you're fine. <laughs> um, so how, you've obviously spotted somebody reading your books out in the wild. So... Um, but what was your funniest fan interaction
1: funniest or weirdest uh, um <laughs> somebody asked me to sign their chest once that was
0: kind of weird <laughs> How did your wife take that? i was about to ask the same question she, that would be she awkward. laughed she thought that was funny. <laughs> You are a lucky man. That my, could have gone badly. Got,
1: like it's, signing on skin is way different than signing on paper. I totally botched the signature anyways. It was, I did my best, but. I hope
0: they didn't tattoo that then. I hope might So um, the next
2: question is JR. Yep. I, 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 you, I just it.
0: thought you were going to ad-lib something. All right. So, right. Yeah. This is where we talk about everything Todd has written. Can you give us the Reader's Digest version of your body of works? Sure. Obviously so- Dragonlance.
1: Yep, Dragonlance was where I got my start. And I did a few short stories in that. Um after that, I um the next published uh series that I have is um the Fairmist series. It starts with, well, it's called the Whisper Prince series. Starts with Fairmist and Um it continues with the Undying Man, and I'm in the middle of uh the the Slate Wizards, um, which is the third and final of that. And and it's interesting because that was one of my early, early on ones, but I've done so much in between and, and the sequels to that keep getting pushed off and pushed off. It's like sort of the neglected stepchild of my, my, uh, my writing, but anyways, so there's that series. And, um, and then there is the wild main series. The, the Threadweavers series is the name of the series, but wild main is the first book. So I always call it the wild main series. This was the concept that I came up with when I was in high school wrote the first book in college finished it later when I was living in New York, finished the trilogy and then rewrote the whole thing uh, top to bottom in 2018 and released it. Um, And it is, it is a series of my heart, you know, and that is, that is like my young passion coming out in stories with, with a more of a modern set of skills writing. So I love that story. And that is my bestseller. I go to cons and that is what sells hands down is my best selling series at cons. Um, And then the Tower of the Four series, which uh, was a finalist for the Colorado Book Award last year and won the Colorado Authors League Award for Writing Excellence uh, last year. So it got some attention last year, which was pretty cool. And um, that is that is a fun, fun series. It's a it's a fan favorite of mine. I get lots of people that that really Love that series, a whole bunch. Um, And then after that, I got connected up with, oh, in between there were what I call my one-offs. I've got a time travel novel, a single time travel novel, my 1980s rock climbing road trip coming of age story with a twist of magic. I don't even know what genre that is. That I just created a genre just exactly for that. And then my nonfiction book that I mentioned to you, the the Colorado trail book, those are what I call my one-offs. Like every now and then I get a wild hair and I have to write this particular thing and it has nothing to do with my epic fantasy uh, series. And then of course, Eldros legacy. When I tumbled into Eldros legacy uh, it is, it's just fabulous. This, it's, this, this multi-author shared fantasy world project where there are five founders, as I mentioned before, who are creating this meta plot story that's going to be like the Marvel universe, right? So we've got each of our individual storylines kind of rising up. And then at a certain point, they're going to come together. At book four, we're we're each going to write eight books. So that's 40 books over eight years. And at book four, our plots are going to start intermixing. You'll get a lot of foreshadowing in the early books, but then our main characters are going to start interacting with one another. And it's, it's ambitious and it's amazing. And actually Kaivin the Unkillable is the first book in the Eldros legacy. Um, And that's, that's mine Kaivin the Unkillable. And it, um, it also is up for, we don't know whether it won yet or not, but up for a Colorado book award and the Colorado authors league award for writing excellence. Now
2: that's also the one that is eligible for a dragon award, Right
1: yes yes so not read it read it and nominate it please um that would be super cool and it's it's got a lot of a lot of steam behind it right now there's a lot of buzz about it behind the scenes but uh if you haven't read it and you like high fantasy sword and sorcery you're gonna love it you're gonna love
0: it all right well since you answered that question about the, uh, the, the origin story for the, for the book, we're mm-hmm. going to move on for a second. We're going to pause while we shamelessly shill for the man. Or woman, Doc, because I'm, I'm inclusive well, like that. Having taken Sarah- her father's throne, Sarah Calhoun has fallen out with one of her best allies, and her brother Nathaniel heads into Imperial Philadelphia with a reckless plan. Her uncle Thomas, armed with new powers and new allies, aims to remove Sarah from her throne and from the world of the living to survive and to gain the strength she needs to fight an impossible war. Sarah must unite the Mound Builder kings to enact an ancient right that will propel her beyond mortality. Servant Daughter by D.J. Butler is the newest entry in the Dragon Award-winning Witchy War series from Bane Books at BaneBooks.com.
1: Ooh. I God. love
2: that series, by the way. Just saying.
1: It's great. And, right. and uh, Butler is great. Dave Butler is just, he's, he's he, a great guy.
2: He has an amazing talent for writing accents into print. If that yes. makes any sense. Like you can read it and you know there's an accent going on in there. Yeah. It it makes it a challenge to read, but it's really worth it sometimes.
0: Okay. So, before we dig in, we're going to take a moment. We're going to look at this cover art. And so, if you can tell us the story behind this cover art, let me put that on the screen. Well, do you want me to tell you the hook for the story, or do you want me to tell you the story behind the cover art? The cover art first, the and, cover
2: heart, and then we'll get into the hook for the story.
1: Okay, cool. So, um, my cover artist is an amazingly talented fellow. His name is Rashid Alakroka, and he's Kuwaiti. He lives in Kuwait, and I met him through my writing coworker Chris Mandeville's son's. Uh, he was he was Chris Mandeville's son's roommate in college. They they knew each other in college, and he was he, he uh, studied to be an engineer. And while he was waiting to get his posting to become an engineer in Kuwait, he was messing around with all this art stuff that he loved. And so he, uh, Chris said, you know, cause I was looking for covers that were inexpensive at the time for my wild main series. And Chris was like, this guy's really good. You should, you should give him a chance. I'm like, okay, I'll check him out. I mean, I wanted something that was professional level. So I didn't know if I just wanted to grab some college student who thought he could draw and, and, you know, give him a try. But I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. I mean, I, I can't, I can't be choosy. I only have, you know, a few hundred bucks to spend for per cover. And so I started talking with him and he's like, let me, let me do these for free for you. Um, You know, he's, he showed me some of his work and I was like, okay, this is way better than I thought. He's like, let me do these for free. These are my first covers. Just let me do them for you for free. And I insisted on paying him. And it was a pittance. It was like $110 per cover at the time. Right. But he's like, let me just do these for you for free because I'm not that good yet. And clearly he was already amazingly good. And I tell you um, it was the best $440 I'd ever spent because then we started developing this relationship and he does every cover that I do. This was his uh, almost latest because the second one is coming out in just a couple of weeks in this particular arm of Eldros legacy. And uh, you know, I I told him I wanted this, this action pose. This guy's a gladiator and he is uh, you know, is going to be swinging swords through the whole novel. Can, can you show me something where he's got, you know, mismatched armor, and you know, throw a flash of color in there, but most of it's going to be steel, You're right? And so this is what he came up with. And what I love about Rasha, I mean, obviously, there's so much movement in this painting. His ability, his grasp on um, uh, composition is just phenomenal. But scroll in again, like co- come close on the shoulder plate, come close on that the the ring mail that he's got. You know, down there. I mean, like all oh, he's got scratches in there on that down there, the the ring mail, all this stuff. The way his fist is wrapped around the dagger, and then whatever that is, this little like half glove or something that you can see it between his his fingers. I mean, details like that make a freaking cover. And I just uh, look at that. Look at the the pommel of the sword there with the little strings wrapped around it. I mean, like this is the kind of stuff you get when you're working with Rashid. I didn't tell him to do any of that stuff not to mention the blue glow of the light that's kind of uh, undershadowing the armor there i mean all of this stuff A- and the thing he does the best i mean obviously he does all of that phenomenally well but the thing he does the best is faces so you can just look at this face of, of kaivin here and you know what kind of person he is the intensity of it so anyways obviously i'm in love with my cover artist and i hope he never leaves me um he's just so phenomenal. I, I, I tell him he's going to be the next Frazetta. Like he keeps going and improving at the rate that he's, he's improving. Like,
2: I mean, he's got some Michael Whalen potential right there.
1: Absolutely. Yep. Michael Whalen was one of my favorite artists when I was a kid. So that's no wonder that you just said that. Cause I, I see that as well, but that's,
0: yeah. So what's, what's the story of the little, uh, let me go back and I'll zoom in this little icon that's at the bottom. So the, so at the, at the top, uh, we've got the, the branding, much like the Dragonlance, you've got the branding for the series. Yes. But then at the bottom, you've got this little symbol. What's the story of that? You mean you mean this symbol here? Uh, well, i on the, the image. Can you not see uh, it? Hold on, let me give you a full screen.
2: Yes, it's the same symbol, yes.
1: Exact same symbol. So, yes, I'm wearing this. I'll tell you about the. Oh, hold, hold on, we
0: can't see it. Not, can you show it one more time? Okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, that symbol. What's the story? So, um,
1: okay, so each of the each of the founders has a continent and each of the continents has a symbol. This is the symbol for my continent, which is called Noxanon. There's also Draconon, Pyranon, Damonon, and Shigurin. So they all have different symbols. Do you want to see the different symbols because I have all the coins except for one?
0: Sure, let me put you back on the Why uh, full are screen. you
1: missing- one what did you do lose it well i think we should blame quincy for that quincy j allen for that because he hasn't mailed it to me yet or i think he just mailed it to me but this one is draconon
2: you do know this means i'm going to try and con it out of him at at con carolina
1: well we do sell them so yes he would you could probably it's more fun to just
2: con quincy into giving me things
1: i bet you could i bet you could (laughs) Hang on a second. Let me get this one out of its wrapper. This is Shioran.
0: Cool. So far, I'm liking yours the
1: best. Oh, thank you for that. And then this is Pyronon. I don't have on, Um, but hang on a second. I do have Seeds of Dominion, which – okay, so here we go. Here's Pyronon.
0: Oh, that's kind of cool, too. I like
1: that one. Yep. It's really cool. – I love them all. There we go. It reminds
2: me of a Dracula.
1: Thing. oh yeah okay and then hang on hang on.
2: but i've been seeing a lot of dracula stuff in my facebook page because it's the 125th anniversary of dracula this week
1: so this is seeds of dominion which is the second book in the overall series and the first book of his his line so hang on a second you can see maybe the, like the first
2: of his line
1: yes yeah. the first of his line can you see that
2: yes yeah
1: cool all right, so that's that one. Um, so yeah, those are the five. Um, and so each continent has its own storyline that is building up right now with its Dungeons Dragons-style party of characters. Like, each of us is building this party of characters. So it's it's very Dungeons Dragons-style type of fiction. And you, know, you noted that the Eldros Legacy is similar to, like, Dragonlance logo, similar to maybe Forgotten Realms logo. That's not an accident. This was, that was the kind of uh, feeling we wanted to evoke. This is the kind of stories that these are.
2: Okay. And I can I see lo- that cover on a Barnes and Noble shelf.
0: So the other thing that branding it's does, cause I, I had actually considered that with one of the series that, that I had done with Chris Weiner before he ended up taking a break from writing. So it's sort of languishing, but, but by doing that branding at the top, you're setting, you're branding it in three ways. You're, 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 typography fair, for your name. Stop. what happened she told me to shut up i thought she was gonna say something
2: no you're going into like in-depth like
0: i i find it fascinating i like point. how he did that
2: okay you're telling
0: me i'm boring you i get it you could just say <laughs> you're boring
2: <laughs> i thought i did
0: <laughs> yeah you're, you're you're fired todd you want a job
2: he doesn't pay very well
0: uh wait till we get that booze company to sponsor us then then we'll have people beating down the door all right doc
2: (laughs) it's a good thing you're not cute
0: (laughs) let's talk about the book
2: yes i know We're going to talk about uh, the book. So what is your 30-second elevator pitch for this book?
1: All right, I'll try and keep it to 30 seconds. It might go a little long. Okay, so uh, Kyvan the Unkillable is about a gladiator on a hot streak. He is so-called with this flamboyant moniker because he has fought 48 bouts in the Night Ring, which is this world's coliseum and he has won 48 bouts. That is unheard of. So they are calling him Kaivin the Unkillable, right? If he wins 50 bouts, he is elevated from slave to knight. He gets the entourage, he gets the land, he gets to marry the baron's daughter, he gets the whole nine yards, right? He wins his 49th bout, and the king invites him to dinner and yanks the rug out from underneath him. He says, Kaivin, we're not going to do a normal bout for your 50th. I want you to do something special for me. I I got a new plan for you. So in the woods somewhere that I cannot locate, there is a rebel camp led by this woman who styles herself as the queen in exile. One of her recruiters is in the cells of the Night Ring right now. He wants to recruit you, and I want you to let it. And then I want you to let him take you to their camp. Then I want you to come back here and you tell me, and I'm going to smash this rebellion to smithereens. That will be your 50th bout. And Kaivin's like, you got it, boss. I'm on it. So he goes with the recruiter. He goes to the secret camp and he meets the queen in exile. She is charming. She is brilliant. She is an amazing leader. And he likes her. She's a good person. She's way better than that guy back in the castle there. So now Kaivin has a problem. Either he goes back and gets everything he ever wanted, or he signs up for a losing cause for all the right reasons. I won't tell you what he chooses, um,
0: but that's the hook for the story.
2: Well, Jr., oh. what do you think?
0: I like it. I like it.
2: Jr. is now what? going to ask when he can get the audible audiobook for it.
0: I'm uh, no, actually. Uh, financial times are hard. I'm doing the library route right now, so you just got to get know. it into the library for me, please. Gotcha. Okay. Okay.
1: Well, it's possible I can get you a complimentary copy. Just uh, <laughs>
0: outstanding. <let's> talk
1: afterwards. <laughs>
2: Jr. See, some people like you. Uh, it's not you. <laughs> so we've actually talked a lot about what makes this series special, and that it's that it's a compliment. I wouldn't put up with you for four years if I didn't like you on some level, Jr. Took me a second to realize that what you said, but you've talked about how it's these almost four, five converging story arcs. So it is, yeah, it is five. Um, but what? So normally we'd ask that, but what really makes this story like special? What tropes are you hitting on and playing with?
1: Oh, okay. So, I mean, this this is a classic hero's journey. Um. Kyvan the Unkillable starts out as a character that we kind of like because he's flamboyant and he's really good at what he does. But he's not the most moral of people. Like, he is really just trying to get power for himself. He's, you know, he's... We start to find out, though, that there's a reason he's doing this. He's lost two families so far because he wasn't powerful enough to stop them from being killed. So he wants to not only become the best swordsman in the land, but he also wants to accrue some social power so that there is never going to be a time where knights will break down his door and take the people that he loves. Right. But in doing so, he's kind of made sure that he doesn't love anybody also. And this is his journey to kind of find his family again. What he wants is to not have to be afraid anymore. Right. What he needs is to find his new family. That's that's the this classic trope for for Kyvan. And we're we're kind of rooting for him, and then he makes stupid decisions, and then we're cursing him, and then he makes some good decisions and we're rooting for him again. So that's the fun interplay of this. Not to mention the fact that the world is amazing and unique, right? I mean, like there's so many really cool, interesting monsters and characters. I mean, this was supposed to be a Dungeons and Dragons style adventure, which means you know, lots of lots of dungeon crawling, like we're going into places that we've never been before and there's going to be monsters there. And something that I haven't mentioned yet about the world building in this, this continent was ruled once by giants. That's a big uh through line of all of these stories is long ago, the giants ruled the land. And these are not brutish, you know, thug of thug type giants. These are like an advanced race kind of giants. They are extremely magical, extremely powerful, and they built these fantastic civilizations thousands of years ago. At a certain point in history, there was an uprising amongst the mortals and the humans against these giants who treated them like slaves. They won, and the giants have vanished for 1,700 years. Now they're coming back, and they want their continents back. And so that is the metaplot that we're moving towards, right? So in this particular <clears throat> continent, Noxanon. Long ago, the giants used to fight each other before the mortals rose up to try and hurt them, right? The giants used to fight each other. And during one of these giant wars, uh, the Noxonoi, the the giants who live on Noxanon, created a spell over the whole continent. Essentially, they they bathed the continent in night, eternal night. And then they gave themselves all the advantages to work in the dark so that if anybody tried to come attack them, they would have an extreme home field advantage right from the get-go. Well, the Pyranon uh, giants threw a sun, like a miniature sun called the Lux, right in the middle of this spell, and it broke the spell apart. So now, thousands of years later, this continent is strewn with these... these patches of darkness called uh, noctums and in nobody goes in there you go in there you die because there's nothing but predators inside the noctums but they don't come into the daylight so as long as you leave the noctums alone you're fine if you take natural light into the noctum and try and see something it is like they they come to it like moths to flames and they tear you apart right the only way to safely navigate a noctum is if you have magical light that you can generate yourself or if you have an amulet, of Noxanon, which look just like this. And that enables you to see in the darkness and it protects you from the monsters for a certain period of time. So anyways, that's just a piece of the of the world building that Kaivin has to uh, handle and deal with throughout the course
0: of the story. Okay. Doc, you, you got anything to add? I, I see you're thinking. No. I see your thinking face, you're, you're, you're burning um, up the screen. Mm.
2: So what this really sounds very classic. Like JR loves to ask about subgenres, but this just seems like a very classic dungeons and dragons. I mean, and beautiful. There's definitely fresh stuff. I'm not by any means saying there isn't anything new and fresh in it, but it definitely seems like a very classic high epic fantasy. Like I wouldn't say it fits into any other subgenre other than like epic fantasy. Classic.
1: Absolutely. Sword and sorcery maybe. There's definitely a lot of sorcery and a lot of swords flashing around, but yes, this is yeah, that that was the intention. That's what we were going for. I mean, I would also classify it as high fantasy, not dark fantasy. I mean, like the the notion is that the good guys win in the end in these books. Yeah. So So do uh, you
0: do you stick with could you talk about high fantasy versus dark fantasy. Do you stick with the idea that good is good and bad is bad or do you go with the modernism which is well, it's all about your perspective, and sometimes the bad guy might be the good guy if you just hug him enough. <laughs> definitely more the, the former. If you
2: hug me enough, I, I
0: mean, will be the bad guy. I will be the bad guy. <laughs> well, I just – I think there's value at least in literature. Like obviously life is complicated and there are shades of gray, but in literature there's there's value in good being good and evil being evil, so you can teach those lessons through, through story, right? Yes, there's and, definitely – yeah, there's
1: definitely morality play here and we, we fall on the good side. But there are some characters that are that straddle the line. Um, there's one that I can think of specifically. His name is Nevelos and he's a giant. So he should be one of the bad guys, but his mission is to help the mortals win. He's like fr- by his own kind, he's called the betrayer because he chose the other side, right? but this guy is not a good guy. He's on our side, but he's not a good guy. He will happily sacrifice a hundred people to save the one that he thinks is going to promote the plan to save humanity overall. And he doesn't hesitate. He's got no remorse. He doesn't have human emotions like we would know human emotions. So is he a good guy? He's definitely on our side, but is he a good guy? No, he's not. So I do have characters like that. um, But, uh, but no, I don't, I don't, personally go in for the whole the bad guy is not the bad guy right i mean like there are different shades of that but um i like to have good solid villains where you look at them and you're like boy i want to put my hands around that guy's neck and squeeze (laughs) that's those are the villains that i want to create i want you to hate them
0: okay the um the if you play a story where for the most part you're sticking good is good and bad is bad then when you have the character that skirts those lines it makes them stand out more and be even more impactful which is the benefit of of you know knowing where the lines are so i I dig it
1: i agree Uh,
0: and so now for the story itself you've told us a lot about the main character is there anything that you wanted to add that we that you haven't already said before we move on because i don't want to like beat a dead horse
1: yeah, no, I think I think I've given given the highlights. I mean any more, and I'm gonna start dropping spoilers here and there.
0: And obviously it's a spoiler free zone. We want people to buy and read the book. Uh, okay, so what about secondary characters? Were there any that were especially memorable to and, oh, and especially oh. memorable to you?
1: Yes, yes. And especially in the second book, which like I said is gonna come out in a couple of weeks. It's called Laurel of the Dark. Um, but uh but in the first book, I love the Queen in Exile. She is She's she really kind of brought herself to life. She is this sort of chaotic good leader who seems so reckless and yet always seems to come up, you know, fresh as a daisy, right? I mean, she's she is uh, she's leading this almost impossible attack, and nothing nothing gets her down. Like she is she is and she's she's like constantly um, strategizing everything. Even though it seems like she's kind of devil-may-care and reckless, she's not. She's actually put it all together in her head, and she's moving in a very specific direction. So I love her character. I also like Laurel, who is uh, the love interest for Kaivin, um, and uh, she, is, she is a Luminant. So that is my world's version of Elves. Now, these Luminants, all of these, these specialized uh, mortal races were created by giants to do specific tasks Within the Noctum. So they all have light and dark type powers. Right. And so luminants are elves. They've got the pointed ears. They are tall, kind of Tolkien-esque elves. And um, their hair lights up when they are emotional. Okay, So if they're sad, their hair will light up. If they're angry, their hair will light up. And this was used for them to navigate their way in the Noctum, right? So this is not a type of light that will bring the monsters running to destroy it, right? It is a magical kind of light. And so um, she's just been a really fun character to play. In addition, she is less dense. Like she's almost six feet tall. I think she may be actually six feet tall. And she weighs 80 pounds. So it's like her... Her bones are less dense. Her muscle is less dense, but no less strong. So it makes them extremely acrobatic, right? Their their strength to the body weight is way higher than a humans. However, if a human gets a hold of them, it's really hard for them to get away, right? Because they they have no they have no uh, inertia to fight with, right? They don't have any kind of bulk to fight with. So they're a very interesting kind of of race and character. And I really love the way that she um, uh, she is in the story. And in fact. Luminants have this this aspect about their souls so when they come of age they have to bond for life with a mate and essentially they rip off half their soul give it to their mate their mate rips off half their soul gives it to them and they bond forever um, in this really tight bond so she may accidentally bond with somebody if she's too emotional about something so laurel is very contained she doesn't want to bond with a human because it will probably kill her. Because humans and luminants cannot bond the same way that luminants and luminance can bond. So it's a special aspect of her, um, her character that I just love. So,
0: so did based on the the low density, did you describe them almost avian then?
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, I actually kind of took the idea from one of the comic books that I loved to read when I was a kid. I don't know if you remember if you're if you're a Marvel fan. If you remember Longshot, the the character Longshot, so no, he was a genetically and en- what's that? I I
0: don't remember that one. Okay,
1: he was a genetically engineered. Um, a uh, man who was made to be less dense, and so he had the same musculature as humans, but he was he was much lighter than humans, and so it made him extremely acrobatic, like Spider-Man level acrobatic. Um, but he, you know, every time he'd get hit, he would fly across the room. So I was like, I want to do something like that. So I kind of recreated that idea here in uh, Eldros Legacy.
0: Okay, so what about the bad guys? Obviously, we don't want spoilers, but what can you tell us about the bad guy without giving away the plot? So, the king, King Vamrith, is the bad guy.
1: And um, he is a man who is very ambitious and has gotten to the top of the the heap. He is he is the perfect tyrant. Like he he uh, frightens people where he needs to and lavishes gifts upon them when he needs to. And he's just he's just a son of a bitch, is what he is. <laughs> he, he um you like the chapter two is where you see him relating to. Uh, this, this woman that he is using to get something that he wants. And you just, you just walk out of that chapter. I mean, I love that chapter because it's like, well, there's no question that this guy's the bad guy. He's just, you know, I don't want to ruin anything because it's a really good chapter, but, um, but uh, yeah, he's, he's a man you love to hate.
0: The best kind of bad guys. Yep. And you're still going to get some contrarian who's like uh, I'm on team, whatever the bad guy's name is. I'd love to hear your rationale for that. Like, I would actually love someone to to say, yeah, no, Vamrus,
1: my guy, I like him because fill in the blanks, man, fill in the blanks. I'd love to the hear most
0: that. The most memorable ones are the guys that write the rationale why the Jedis are the terrorists and the Empire are the good guys. <laughs> you need to make the series big enough that someone will spend the time rationing that out for you. That would be fun. Would
1: be fun. I would love that. I would love that. <laughs> I, I read an interview with Orson Scott Card once where he was talking about how people were like, you know. Ender's Game is the best Orson Scott Card novels No, Speaking for the Dead is the best And they're like, so which do you think? Like, which side do you come down upon? He's like, I don't care I would love for everybody to just be discussing Which one's better to the end of time Like, that's fine with me So I I, I love that answer That's a great answer So
2: speaking of which character is better If your characters met you in a dark alley And they knew who you were How do you think you'd fare with that? <laughs>
1: I probably would die. They probably would kill me. <laughs> Why did you put me through this hell? One of my uh, one of my super fans, uh, Becca, she was like, you know, so because I, I I she's one of my advanced readers as well, and um, she's like, re- you know, reading a current novel uh, that I'm that I'm working on. She's like, so I'm just waiting for the point at which this character gets maimed, you know, because Todd, you know, because. <laughs> Everybody goes through the ringer in my books. I'm not particularly nice to my to my characters. They they, they go through a lot, for sure. And um, so I think if I met them in a dark alley, uh, Tyven would probably kill me. Because that's kind of his go-to thing. Like, he kills people. <laughs> so that's what he's good at, right? Um, I would probably get shot, you know, and put to sleep by Laurel. She, she carries this blowgun that has... Uh, a a sleeping poison on it called somnol um, that uh, puts people to sleep just like that. So I'd probably get put to sleep or killed. I I would rather go out Lorel's way than than, uh, Kaivin's, but that's probably what would happen.
2: Well, (laughs) um, at least you know how you die. Um,
1: (laughs) For whatever consolation that's worth, I don't know.
2: So do you have a favorite character archetype?
1: I, I love swordsmen. I just I love the idea of somebody wielding a sword. So uh, as far as archetypes, I I don't typically build my characters off specific archetypes, but I think they fall into that anyway. Um so so yeah, I don't I don't know that I I don't know that I intentionally build them to be archetypes. So I don't think I can say I have a favorite archetype. Um obviously swordsman is not a classic archetype, but um maybe the, you know, maybe the the farm boy who who grows into his powers a luke skywalker kind of kind of archetype i do like that one a lot
2: so
0: that is a good one although it's uh it's pretty classic i think it's used in a a lot of fantasy and sci-fi actually oh yeah the uh, the, the farm boy made made big yep um yep. so it's a trope for a reason because it, it works it speaks to you know, the quest for more, but, uh, doc is telling me to shut up and move on. So, uh, were there any cool scenes or ideas that you had to cut from this book that, uh, that make a cool story?
1: So that's interesting that you asked that. I, I can't think of a cool scene that I had to cut, but I, I can think of a scene that I was going to cut. Like I was 95% sure I was going to cut. Uh, there is, there is the scene, with this giant raven you know and i i had to have this sort of boss monster thing and skyven meets this this giant raven in this neragi the neragi neragi is the name for a kind of ruined castle like something that the giants built a long time ago that nobody has entered since then uh sort of old these old castles um but uh uh so so he, he was going into this room and I'm like, I need a boss monster. And just like this giant raven popped out of my head. And so this raven is this very cultured. I kind of picture him with an English accent. And, and he's like, you know, talking to Kyvin about how it's so wonderful to see someone and talk with someone. And I hope you don't mind that we have this conversation before I eat you. Right. And Kaivin's like, you know, <laughs> up going like, oh, I don't really want you to eat me. He's like, well, it's inevitable. You may as well resign yourself to your fate. I mean, like here I am trapped here for a thousand years you know, looking after my my master's uh, castle. Do you think I wanted that fate? Of course not. But do I live with it? Of course I do. So you must accept your fate as well. And let's just have a nice conversation before I devour you. Anyways, um, when I got done writing the scene, I'm like, this is never going to fly. I've got like, you know dark big bird here i gotta come up with something else people are gonna freaking hate this character there's no way this flies and so i was this close to cutting it before i showed it to everybody but i'm like you know what i'm just gonna i'm gonna put it out and see see what they think so i put it out to my my alpha reader list which was i think three or four people at the time and um (laughs) straight across the board he was the fan favorite uh, this this giant raven, this Ravalos character, was was the fan favorite, and so I was so close to to essentially deleting something that readers obviously loved, and it makes me that moment in time it sticks in my head. It makes me nervous to cut anything now. Like what if it's what if it's the good thing that I'm cutting out of the story? So, um, so anyway, so yeah, that's that's the story that jumped into my mind when you asked about cutting scenes.
0: That um, reminds me of that scene that you described. A lot of some of the classics where like they're facing the cyclops and they're trying to trick him, or like the Hundred and One Arabian Nights where you're trying to that's, trick them so you don't get like you're you're going back to the classics of classics with, that's, with that. That's the concept. idea,
1: right? I mean, do the same thing only different, right? Give people exactly what they love, but make it fresh. That's that's but, what we're trying to do with Kai and the Unkillable*.
0: Right, but what I mean is when people talk of the classics, most people don't go past Lord of the Rings. You went way back into antiquity <laughs> with that one, and I like it. Well, but uh, you... Go ahead. No, go ahead. So you've told us a lot about the world already. Is there anything major about the world that, that this story is happening in that you feel like the reader needs to know? Yes. Oh,
1: gosh, I'm glad you asked that question. So on the cover, you can see that it's framed, right? That frame is called a Thoros, Okay. A thuros is a teleportation doorway, okay? And there are a limited number of these throughout the continent. Each of these can connect with any other thuros anywhere else, whether it's on this continent or another continent, but they have been defunct for 1,700 years. So remember I told you that in Book 4, things are going to start to come together? Well, in Book 4, these thoroi, that's the plural for thuros, these Thoroi are going to open up and the continents are going to start interacting with one another. So that is a huge portion of the world building. And obviously what a big piece of the plot hinges on so much so that we are incorporating it in every single cover, like the things that stay the same on every single cover cover is the Thoros archway, the Eldros legacy, and then the individual symbols that represent each of the different continents.
0: Neat. So basically Stargate in the fantasy world. I like it. Yes, exactly. So uh, Legacy of Shadows, Kyvan the Unkillable, is clearly part of a series. We've sort of talked about that. There are currently four books out, but where do you see the story going overall? Um, <laughs> well, so
1: we're building the party at this point. And the way I'm writing these is each book, you could take each one of these books up to book four, or I should say up to book five. Um, and you could read it, and you wouldn't need to read the previous one. It's a full, complete story in and of itself. Each of these. Kaivin the Unkillable is. Lorel of the Dark is. The third one, Ren the Traveler is. And the fourth one, tentatively named Slater and the Dragon's Lair. And yes, that's supposed to be a little bit funny. Um, because Slater himself, the character, the mage character, is a little bit funny. Um, they're all going to be, like kind of showing these individual members of the party and their character arc. And then they're going to get together, kind of like I said, in the Avengers and boom, they're going to, they're going to wreak havoc. They're going to be those characters that you love and they're going to go and and do all the things. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's the way I'm writing them. So the, the, the meta plot, like the first four books are going to be this, this meta plot about the giants returning is going to keep ramping up and ramping up and ramping up. And we're going to, see these characters come into their own and form this powerful dungeons and dragons party. I would say they start they all started about level 7 and probably by the time they get to the fourth book they're going to be, you know, level 15 probably and by the end of the series level 20,
0: right? And they're going to be super badass. Okay. So, uh we know that every li- oh doc you good?
2: Yeah, no, I just, my internet's being weird, so I was uh, conserving bandwidth for a bit.
0: Understood. So if she bounces, you know, you know, tech is a thing, and it's the well, story. They're, they're season, trying so. to
2: upgrade the internet in my neighborhood, but it seems to be downgrading it for a while. <laughs> yeah, Ugh. you see how happy I am about it. <laughs> so,
0: we, can, we can see it.
2: Um. Uh, Jared, ask your
0: question. Okay, so we all know that every literary universe has their own internally consistent rules of science and technology and magic. So what can we expect from these books? Oh,
1: um, yeah. Actually, it's fairly detailed. i give a hat tip to Rob Howell for that. He created an entire magic system for Eldros before we even really kind of started forming the the founding. I
2: think he does those for
1: fun. Oh, he totally does those for fun. So we've got five different streams of magic in this world. And humans, like, a human can only master one stream of magic. Giants can master all five, which is what makes them so powerful. So we have love magic, land magic, lore magic, uh, oh gosh, I'm going to forget two of them. No, I'm not. Line magic, and... There's a fourth one. It's going to come to me in a second. Anyways, so, you know, lore magic is... Kind of what Gandalf does, like he kind of reads a little bit of the future and he's always in the right place at the right time. Right. That's kind of that's what lore magic is. Land magic is your classic, you know, element bending. Right. Like kind of like from Avatar. You got rock, you got flame, you got water. You are you it's the, it's the physics kind of magic. Right. And um, love magic is manipulating people's emotions, right? I mean, it's either making them happy, making them sad, making them fall in love, all that stuff. It's very keyed into uh, manipulating people. And then, um, gosh, why can I not think of the other one? Oh, life magic. Duh. Okay, so life magic is um, like what druids do, right? They tap into this sort of anima of, of the things that that living creatures have, right? Um, and then line magic is can do anything. You like write a symbol, and it can do you know either land magic or lore magic or whatever, but it can only do it like thirty percent as powerful as any of the others. So it's like a jack of all trades and master of none. Like you could never have a very powerful land magic spell from a line magic uh, spell. So, um, so those are those are the five, and and that those are the the laws of magic that we stick to within this world. There's there's That's also very detailed. Yeah, it is. It, it and it goes on and on. Like I barely scratched the surface. There, there are pages literally written about each of these different ones. There's a Bible they call the the Shigerin, or excuse me, the the Elgros Bible, where it keeps all this information together.
0: If if Rob Howell is true to form, the the Bible itself is Brandon Sanderson esque in quality of length. Yes, for sure. So I wonder um, if he knows he's become a meme about long books.
2: Sanderson. Yeah. I don't think he cares.
0: I, I wouldn't care if I was him. Didn't he just make? No, like, I'd wipe my, I'd wipe um, my tears with the dollar bills, you know. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: all right, Doc. Your favorite is question. The ones you added to the of to the. All document. the
2: magic in this universe. Which is the one that you would want?
0: Of all the whats in the universe, of
2: all of the magic in this universe, which one's the one you want?
1: Oh, in in this Eldros universe. Oh gosh. Yeah. You know, I'd love to say line magic because then you could do anything. But I, I don't think I'm, I'm meticulous enough to really maximize the line magic. I'm gonna go with land magic. You know, I mean, it'd be cool to be able to pick up rocks and you know, spurt flame from my hands and, and uh, so I, I'd go with land magic. I think, I think that'd be most, that'd be the best for my personality. I mean, lore magic would take just so much study and and foresight and I don't think I've got it in me.
2: <laughs> mm. Well, that makes sense. So how would you abuse that magic?
1: How would I have used that magic? No, so or- how would you abuse it? Oh, how would I abuse the magic? Oh, well, I mean like if you can, you know, move mountains, then you know, I probably build myself a castle and um uh you know, if, if you know, if somebody was trying to hurt me, you just you know blast them back with a with a puff of wind, or I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to think of how would I abuse it. Um, I would like to think I wouldn't abuse it. I guess uh, probably make things for myself that I wanted. I suppose would be the, the uh, uh, my
2: coffee would never get
1: cold. Your coffee would never get cold. Would that really be abusing it though? I think that would just be you know good sense indulging right? in it. I guess. Yes. Yes. Indulging. So. in it. Um,
2: so you have fantastical creatures and I am they're all basically from the same planet, right? Yes. Okay. So how did you go about designing any of the magical creatures you designed? Was it purpose built? Was it biology? What?
1: Yeah. I was actually just talking to somebody about this today. I mean, they, they just jump into my head, you know, I'm like, <laughs> like what do i need here oh i'm gonna have you know uh uh, something that's part lion and part owl with like bone wings that have shadow you know skin on them like 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 that it just it's just like this kind of conglomeration then i come up with a nonsense word like naguil to you know create this character and then i start coming over the history for the character just it's just sort of off the cuff it really is um i mean obviously some of them were crafted specifically because the giants made them to do specific things. So, so like the the shadow Var, they've got this like midnight black skin that if they're in shadow they vanish. They essentially, you can't see them, uh, except for the white horns that they have that come up from their head. So they have to like cover their horns if they're going to be stealth. So, just you know the different the different kinds of things uh, that, that that pop into my head. It's like something random happens, like the freaking big bird, you know, (laughs) like it pops into my head. And then I'm like, okay, that's ridiculous. Let's see how I can make it work. Because something that I've learned as an author is if you take something ridiculous and you convince people through their, its backstory or how it fits into the world that it's actually essential, that's the best kind of fantasy of all, right? I mean, that's the best. It's like you suspend their disbelief on something ridiculous. Readers love that they love because they want to believe. That's why you read fantasy, isn't it? Because you want to believe. So if I can make it so they, they can actually suspend their disbelief, then I've done my job. And the more ridiculous something is and, and, and that I'm successful in suspending disbelief, the better.
0: That's a good answer.
2: So now JR gets to figure out how to ask his question.
0: No, I, I was going to let you, in case you lost the internet, I was going to let you bring up the, the Dragon nomination stuff, because I know that's your your. Well, I, I
2: mean, okay, but the interview's winding down. Yes, we can nominate, and we'll put the link in the comment section for nominating this for the wonderful Dragon Awards. Yes. And of course, the... Um. What on earth is your? You have this bullet point, including paranormal. What, JR?
0: That's how they said it was best fantasy novel, including paranormal, is the category. Yes. Ideally,
2: they would love to be nominated in the best fantasy novel category for the Dragon Awards, which is, of course, a pure fandom award. Anybody in fandom can vote and nominate for it. And nominations close July 19th. So do it while you remember it and do it soon.
0: All right. So, um, I'm
2: settled.
0: <laughs> I thought you might want to have a discussion, but it's also late at night. I know. I know. So, uh, before we, before we I have a discussion,
2: up, it's called talking with you.
0: <laughs> so before we wrap this up, we like to ask this. It's one of the new things we're trying to fit in is, uh, what age range would you say this story is appropriate for? We've got a lot of families that listen to the show together and they, you know, we get that question a lot. Like, could my kids read this story?
1: So um, these, all of the Eldros books were designed to be PG 13. So Okay. Um, and I think depending on the parents, you could even go younger than that. You've got precocious readers that might enjoy this, but the 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 relationship content level is really low. Like we're talking, you know, oh, she looks so beautiful and you might even get a kiss somewhere in the story, but that's it. That's about it.
0: Just enough for them to go. Hey, okay, okay, all right, right, exactly. So, exactly, Clear. Clearly, this is is wrapping up. We've been at it for a little bit, having a blast doing it. We'll have to have you back for sure. But was before we wrap this up, was there anything about the uh, Kaivin, the Unkillable, that we didn't ask that you want to tell us?
1: No, this was comprehensive. This like covered it all. Yeah, I can't think of anything else that I would. <laughs> about is this it. Yeah, is well this available
0: in audiobook for for those that prefer to have their stories read to them? Not
1: yet, but I'm working on the audiobook. Like the, the I am the bottleneck for that right now. I'm like you know I've got to edit. The, I, I'm actually the voice talent for it, and oh, okay. uh, I have to edit it. So it's um it's it's coming. It's coming. Bear with me.
0: Outstanding. All right. So this is the part of the introduction or introduction interview because we're way past the introduction. Uh, (laughs) The coffee's wearing off people. This is the part of the interview where we remind you to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right book. So do your part, people. It helps. uh, It helps lubricate the wheels of literary success. Doc is mocking me, but the reviews matter. And I hear if you if you get, like, your 100,000th review, like, they build you a castle and you get unicorns or something. I don't know.
2: They deliver it hey. via the uh, ports, though. So you'll never get it
0: in time. Oh, this is true. Probably not with the way the Suez Canal's been working lately. It might never reach us. I wonder if that boat's still stuck there. But anyway, I digress. All right, Todd, uh, can you tell listeners how they can find you on the Wild Wild Interwebs? Yeah. Um, you can go to my
1: website, ToddFaunestock.com. You can also find me on my author page on uh, Amazon. Um, you can find me on Facebook. I have a, um, uh, a a group, like a fan group. I've also got an author page, um, which is Todd Faunestock, fantasy author. Uh, my group currently is called Quad Faunestock, which is based on uh, something that happens in Tower of the Four, the Tower of the Four series. So... That may be changing soon, though. I may be changing the name of that. Um, so, yeah, so those are the places that you can find me.
0: All right. And we did link to his uh, newsletter. So if you if you want to find out more or stalk him as you do, we'll, we'll link to all of that. Uh, you can find us. Doc, don't give me that look. I, I can see it. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at twitter.com backslash sf underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email the show at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Again, blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook where all the shenanigans happen over at facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. You can find our website over on anchor.fm. Backslash blasters, tack and tack blades again, anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades, where for as little as 99 cents a month, you could support the show and help keep the lights on. And that is truly appreciated. Or you could just, you know, follow us and stalk us and do the things there too. But if you want to support the show, you could also do it last but not least at buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr handley. Uh, Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put in the comment section that is for the podcast, and I promise that I will keep Doc Seska and Nick Garber duly caffeinated. They will drink until they can hear uh, color and see sound.
2: I'm very tone deaf, so it's going to take a lot of caffeine.
0: All right, so you've got your marching (laughs) orders, people. You know what to do. Oh, and uh, because this is the Blasters and Blades, last but not least, pineapple on pizza, yay or nay? Oh. Yeah, I like pineapple on pizza. Yes! Dang it, Doc got to you first, didn't she?
1: <laughs> Dang it. Do the thing. So, all right,
2: Doc, thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Absolutely. Garber, the absentee, and the Addlebrain J.R. Handley, I'm Seska. This was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week indulging our love of cheese, uh, pineapple on pizza, cheesy jokes, nerd culture, all of the, of course, all things that go bloom or stabby-stabby. Yeah. <laughs>